Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, Alexandria has moved to ban single-family zoning, which is a kind of wonky concept, but it's one that has big implications and they ought to matter to you even if you don't live in Alexandria. Teo Armas of The Washington Post is here to explain why. Plus, CityCast's Julia Karen is here. We are going to talk about a new debate over closing Metro for repairs. And we'll be ending with a special segment sponsored by the Hyrek House about their annual Christmas market, which begins tonight. Today is Friday, December 1st. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Teo. Hey, Michael. How's it going? Good, good. And Julia, good to have you back on. Before we get to today's topics, I understand you have a quick, quick question for everyone. I promise it will be quick. The question is how into the giving spirit are all of you? Uh, And the reason that I ask this is because if you've been listening to the show and reading our newsletter, Hey DC, then you know that we have launched a membership program, which is a big, big deal. And I'm really excited about it because it means that you all, all the listeners, all the readers, you get a chance to support something from the ground up. Uh, as Mike has probably opined a couple of times, we live in a city where everyone knows everything about the White House and can probably power rank your favorite Iowa caucus that you've attended. But maybe you don't know about why the heck Metro is closed or delayed, which, fun fact, we will be talking about today. If that local journalism matters to you, and I know it matters to all of us who help make the show and the newsletter, then you should join. You get an ad-free version of the pod and first dibs on live events, which means more local news, which is always a good thing. Memberships start at $8 a month. Just head to membership.citycast.fm. That link is also in our show notes if you want to become a member. Red hot. Thank you, Julia. Always. So, Teo, you covered a pretty pitched controversy in the post about Alexandria, uh, which, like a lot of inner suburbs, is dealing with um, there is not enough housing. Housing is too expensive. What do we do about this? They have like a lot of inner suburbs, like a lot of outer suburbs, a lot of zoning left over from the 50s and 60s and 70s that says like you can only have one house with a yard on a plot. And there has been an effort to change that so they can build more. What what has happened and what's the latest? Yeah, exactly. Basically, the kind of thinking behind this idea, right, is that Alexandria's pretty close to DC. It's pretty close to where the jobs are, where the transit is, and the way that or sort of the rules that have existed for using land um, are just pretty inefficient. You know, um, if you can have two, you know, apartments on a plot of land instead of, you know, just one house, um, that's ultimately just a, a better way to use the land, allows more people to live there, and ultimately might end up making the housing a little bit cheaper. So on um, 
really early on Wednesday morning. <laughs> I think the vote was at like close to one in the morning. Um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, so early. They love their late night meetings in, in Alexandria, you know. Um, they passed this uh, big proposal called uh, Zoning for Housing, Housing for All, that got rid of single family only zoning in Alexandria and did a whole bunch of other, you know, kind of arcane wonky stuff with zoning, basically just with the goal of paving the way for, for more housing and more affordable housing in the city. So this has become like it was sort of alluded to in the 2020 presidential election. This has become kind of a national political issue. And it's sort of a weird one because the more left side in this case is also the more free market side, which is to say, like, you own this piece of property, you should be able to do what you want with it if you want to turn the house into four apartments or knock down the house and put up an apartment building, you should be allowed to do that. And the more conservative side has been like, no, we have to, you know, enforce rules on what people can do with their property to preserve the character of the neighborhood. That's what came out at this hearing you covered, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a national political issue, but I think the thing that's really interesting about the politics of housing is that so much of this stuff gets decided at the local level, um, and especially in a place like Alexandria or DC, right, which is just so overwhelmingly blue, the kind of like normal right and left uh, of politics don't really apply. You, you have people making arguments for something like zoning for housing, and this was certainly true at one of the, the public hearings on, on this, um, you know, saying it's good for social justice and racial justice because it kind of undoes the you know racist legacy of redlining. People who say it's good for the environment because it, you know, ultimately cuts down on sprawl and means more people can live close to the metro. And then also people saying, you know, there, there were some people saying, I'm a Republican, I'm a political conservative, I believe in limited government and uh, property rights and the free market, and the government should not, you know, have the right to tell me what I can do on the plot of land I own. Um, so it's kind of like these, you know, odd political bedfellows. The same is certainly true on on the other side in terms of arguments people make as to why, um, you know, they they think that single family only zoning should still exist. All right. So you had mentioned that this meeting went to like 1 a.m., which means I imagine that people had pretty strong feelings about all of this. What did people have to say about how they feel about single family zoning? Yeah. Um, so really, actually, there were three meetings uh, now that I think about it. And those three meetings were the last set of a, a much larger like year of meetings, mm, um, you know, one of which I think was uh, on a Tuesday earlier this month, another was on a, a Saturday. And then the actual vote, no residents were even uh, allowed to talk. It was just sort of the council members kind of debating amongst themselves until one in the morning. But um, yeah, I mean, people have all different sorts of thoughts on this. I think, again, when it comes to housing, it sort of like hits you literally where you live, right? There's a lot of kind of longtime older homeowners who said, I bought into a neighborhood when it looked like this. And I don't really want that to change. And, and they're kind of afraid of what might happen and what the effect might be. And you can definitely, you know, sort of see some of the anger and, and frustration in, in their comments. There was one person who said all the city council members deserve to be spanked at the hearing. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. That was a, that's a negative thing, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely sort of spanking as, as punishment. A lot of frustration there. You know, I mean, there were multiple people who, you know, at, at various points compared density in Alexandria to the Gaza Strip, um, which... <laughs> You know, I'll I'll let uh, you decide uh, what you feel about that. Um, someone made like a particularly sort of racist comment about, quote unquote, deserving blacks um, that a lot of 
uh, the city council members, they basically just stopped the meeting and they were like, nope, we're not going to talk like that here. But the theme throughout these is the idea that if you change the rules that make it easier to, say, knock down a house and put up a, a building with apartments, it will lead to um, significantly more density and making it easier to afford. And therefore, if you are a hostile person, therefore, it's, the neighborhood's going to be overrun with poor people. So you also note in your reporting that the practical impact of this is actually going to be pretty limited. So the idea of this like radically changing Alexandria is a bit hyperbolistic. Probably, right? But but again, I think the tricky thing with zoning is that it's not the government saying, okay, we will build a house here, right? Or like this thing will happen. It's sort of loosening the rules for what might happen. So theoretically speaking, if you own a single family house somewhere in the middle of Alexandria, which is where a lot of the, the single family neighborhoods are, under these rules, you know, where you have a single family house to your right and a single family house to your left and a single family house across the street, you could potentially have, uh, you know, a fourplex or so like a four, a small, you know, four unit building where each of those houses are right now. That means more people who need to park on the street, right? Um, you know, some people think that means, right, like more trash, more, you know, sewage going into the sewage system, like all these things that you're sort of used to having a certain kind of infrastructure for are, you know, suddenly just going to have to contend with with a lot more people. It could also mean that, you know, the, those single family houses stay there um, as long as you stay there, right? You know, and, and no developer, no homeowner decides to end up converting their single family house into, you know, a duplex or a set of townhouses or whatever. It's, it's sort of opening the gate for something to happen, but it's not actually ensuring that it's going to happen. Um, and I think that's what tends to make people really afraid. Are there reasonable projections, I mean, that you, that you put any stock in, in terms of what this is likely to lead to in the next 10 or 20 years in terms of how many new things get built and what it will do to uh, prices and what it'll do to you know, infrastructure, population, number of kids in schools, things like that? The number you brought up is right on the money. That's actually a number that you know city planners themselves have put out there. It, there's something like 9,000 single family lots and just 66 of them are going to be converted to denser housing. So not that many, but but again, that's based on kind of their analysis of the real estate market. I think the general idea here is that, you know, it, it's just basic supply and demand. Like the more housing you add, the more sort of costs will go down or really costs will just like stop continuing to go up and up and up and up. So what's the future of this? I know Arlington passed something similar. That's now like tied up in court. Can we expect something similar in this case? What do you, what do you forecast in that front? I mean, that's a really good question. No one has explicitly told me they're going to be suing over this, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if if that happens. Alexandria also has elections next year. You know, I could certainly see this kind of becoming a big topic in city council elections and the mayoral elections. I think there's probably going to still be a lot of debate over this. Um, Zoning for Housing, the initiative that led to this is... Uh, really, we just ended phase one, actually. So, uh, you know, there might be a sort of a whole other set of changes um, that, uh, you know, end up kind of coming up the pipeline next year, maybe the year after that. When was the last time you went to the theater? 
Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. All right, so debate afoot with a more immediate impact and a less uh, racist um, <laughs> uh, uh, tenor uh, is about Metro. Uh, the plan is to close a few stations for repairs, which they have to do every now and then. And the idea was, let's do it over the holidays because there's you know less people going to work. All of a sudden, uh, there's some significant uh, opposition to that and actually gets to a pretty interesting tension about what Metro is. Um, what What's happening, Julia? Okay. So you might have seen over social media and announced by Metro that Metro is planning to close down a section of the red line for, quote, necessary repairs. The shutdown runs from December 18th through the 30th uh, in December. Basically, Farragut North, Metro Center and Gallery Place are going to be shut down through then. And then Judiciary Square is going to be shut down from December 22nd to the 24th. They're going to run all these free shuttles between the stops every six to eight minutes to counteract the fact that this is a really busy section of the red line and people need to be able to get from place to place on it. Uh, so they're trying to alleviate some of that pressure. The issue comes because the DC bid, the business improvement district wants Metro to delay this closure because they think it's going to affect businesses in the region. They want to have it shut down in January. They say that there's a potential loss in the district sales tax revenue in the ballpark between $3 million and $6 million. It's a lot of money. Basically, Metro chose the dates because they said that ridership in December, at least late December, is typically reduced by about like 40% because schools and offices are closed for the holidays. No one's going to work. No one's really in the city going downtown, or so they say. Uh, but basically, this is about like, who is Metro for? Is it for like business interests or is it for like students and workers and they got to make these repairs sometime so when is the time to do it so it's like would you rather inconvenience consumers or would you rather inconvenience students and commuters and like people who slept into the office i think the short answer is it's going to inconvenience everybody no matter when you do it well not really i mean if you go to if you have to take the red line to school sure and school's on vacation <laughs> it's no skin off your nose for sure but i think generally shutting down the metro like it does inconvenience everybody who needs it like it inconveniences workers who have to be there during christmas hours which like a lot of us don't work during christmas but there is still a fair amount of people who do work during christmas but, I, but it, you know it goes back to like when they built metro the idea was we are building this system to bring the federal workforce into town yes. at, at the beginning of the workday and bring them out of town at the end of the workday the idea it was it, this is not like for entertainment. It's not to go to parties or visit your friends. It's it's really first and foremost a, a commuter service. So by that logic, uh, that's a just late December is a great time to shut it down. What it's evolved into though is a, a system that a lot of uh, you know nightlife relies on, that a lot of commerce mm -hmm. relies on, with a lot of things that don't operate on nine to five. A lot of you know jobs that don't operate on nine to five rely on. 
And like we're seeing this evolved meaning of uh, Metro kind of play out in real time, which I think is uh, super um, interesting. Who do you think is going to win this? I don't know. I mean, I think the bid is going to win this. I think their argument is really, really strong. Like three, again, three to six million dollars. And obviously those are pretty high projections. Like that is a lot of money, uh, especially for an area where, again, Mayor Bowser has said she wants to bring back downtown. She wants to get people shopping and into businesses and stuff like that. Um, and that area happens to have that Christmas market area. I mean, wait a minute, though. Like the, the city's budget is enormous. Three to six million dollars is not actually that much money in in, in the the you know, pool of a so the a budget size of the district. Sure, but to me, it seems like a lot of money. You know, I don't know, Teo. Like, what do you think is gonna is gonna happen here? Because I imagine that you have done some reporting on this and seen, like, ah, yes, Metro has to shut down for a little bit. I mean, that's a great question. I know certainly in in Northern Virginia, like you know, I mean, if you think about like the Yellow Line, right? That I how long was that closed for? Like the better part of a year, right? So at a certain point, you know. You just sort of have to <laughs> kind of grin and grin and bear it. I, I hear the arguments, but like at the end of the day, if it's the type of thing that, you know, helps sustain Metro like the rest of the year, I guess it just depends on, on the arguments that, it, you know, the decision makers in this case find most compelling. I think having that stuff break and lead to disaster, that would be pretty sucky for tax revenue yeah, whenever it happens. Exactly. You know, if I mean, if the Metro collapses, you can't get to the Christmas market, right? It's true. So, <laughs> Um, all right. So wait, speaking of Christmas markets, uh, we are joined now by Alex Frioli from Hyrick House, which is a sponsor of CityCast. We are going to have a sponsored segment talking about their historic house's annual Christmas market, which starts tonight and goes through Sunday. Alex, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. We, uh, that is Team CityCast, will all be at the market uh, this evening. Woo! Uh, people should definitely pop by to say hi. But they should also come to see all the other cool things they can buy. What uh, what are you selling? Yeah, so Christmas Market has evolved over the last decade from a very small Christmas pop-up into a key incubator for small local businesses in Washington, D.C. What you can find there is local artists and craft. So when you think about what is what does that mean, you can find people such as ceramicists, leather workers, woodworkers, jewelry makers, printmakers. So really a lot of handcrafted goods that are all locally produced here in Washington, D.C. So we did an episode with Cornelia Poco on Monday about all the different Christmas markets around D.C. Uh, yeah. What makes the Hyrick houses so special? What's the atmosphere like compared to everything else? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it is a really magical setting. So it is in the backyard of a historic Victorian mansion that was handcrafted by local artisans from the 1890s. So we take their legacy, which is a storied legacy in Washington, D.C., where you can basically walk through the gates, which were completely made from ironwork that have lots of details. And it's really beautiful. And you can um, experience what is that in modern day. And so you see a lot of those makers that I previously mentioned, their work a lot of times is inspired by that historic craftsmanship. So are there any specific vendors that you personally are excited about? Like, I know I have a lot of local art hanging on my walls and I am always looking for more. I think I have a problem. It's okay. Uh, is there anyone you're particularly excited about? 
you know, so as somebody who runs our small business program, I hate to play favorites, but I can tell you (laughs) from a general sense why it's important to support these people and why they're all really great to support. You know, we're a nonprofit, and so this is our largest fundraiser, and it allows us to do small business programming for small-scale manufacturers in Washington, D.C. throughout the entire calendar year. So when we talk about small businesses or you know, specifically the makers, which is its own sect of the small business community in Washington, D.C. We're talking about a lot of people who have maybe started their business part time. We're talking about a lot of people from underrepresented communities who are trying to create additional income or trying to find their way into the middle class. You know, we always talk about how manufacturing is one of the quickest ways to become part of the middle class. So this year it's our highest number yet, but We hand-selected 93% of our vendors um, self-identify as coming from underrepresented communities. So we're talking about people who are, you know, women and non-binary people, immigrants, people of color, and queer people. We've also done mini markets, which are a free sales platform throughout the calendar year. So those businesses, a lot of them have grown from taking experience from doing these free markets and grown their businesses over the year so that they can join us at Christmas Market. And so we see nine of the people who have been incubated through those programs now participating in Christmas Market. So we see a true evolution of small business life cycle here at the Hyrick House Museum. So give us the specifics. When exactly is it happening? Days, hours, addresses, how to get there. The Metro will still be open this weekend. (laughs) So just to be clear. Yeah. So we're just a block away from the DuPont Circle Metro. So it's super easy to get to. The address for the market is 1307 New Hampshire Avenue. So again, right in the middle of DuPont. Um, I highly suggest not driving because that neighborhood will be extremely busy during that day. There's a lot of holiday pop-ups going on in DuPont. It happens, like you said, starting today and it goes through Sunday. Tickets are available at the door. They are $14. Like I said, it's a fundraiser. So all of that money goes back to supporting small businesses all year long in Washington, D.C. Some other free things once you buy your ticket are if you have kids, we have a free kids craft. Um, There will be free tastings of our historic revival of Senate beer on Saturday. We have the traditional glue vine, which is a warm spiced mold wine. Also at the market, you'll be able to talk with our museum curator, Jenna, so you can learn a little bit more about the historic craftspeople and about the history of the Hyrick home and the Hyrick brewery. Hope to see you all at the Christmas market um, and support small businesses with us this holiday season. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for being here. Looking forward to seeing you uh, tonight. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really great to have you all there. And thank you, Teo, for being here. Happy to be here. If you're at that market, come say hi to us. Seriously. Julia, awesome to see you. My pleasure, as always. That is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our executive producer is Priyanka Tilve. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Semmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not craft your own handcrafted artisanal CityCast souvenir item and then give it to us for free. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. The house used to be open during Christmas market, so I don't want people to think it's open this year because it's not. The party in Alex's office, everybody.